Welcome to the 74 and West Exclusives Podcast. On this episode, I sit down with someone who probably knows quite a lot about where you work, literally where you work. You see corporate slash commercial real estate, where businesses are and why that's his profession. And seeing as how we're at a time of much flux in how and where we work, this seemed like a great time to get his insights. So with that said, please meet Mike McDermott. I'm a director with the Strategic Consulting Group within Christian and Wakefield. Uh, Christian and Wakefield is a global real estate company, and my group within uh, is focused on, uh, in, in kind of a big sense, making sure that the real estate a company has aligns with their business objectives. So we're we're involved with uh, location studies, making sure people have access to the right labor pools, operating conditions, and of course now with a lot of remote working, uh, what does the workplace look like and how does it support um, a more flexible workforce? I've been sort of shorthanding, I've been shorthanding as corporate real estate, but I guess I just wanted to ask as a way of kicking it off, what is the correct terminology for this, you know, industry or space? I think corporate real estate is is appropriate just because you're talking really about any business's real estate. Um, another another good definition or maybe a title is uh, commercial real estate. Commercial real estate is really anything, if you lump it together, that's non-residential. So the area I focus in is mostly office, but under our same umbrella would be industrial spaces, you know, even multifamily apartment buildings, things that are more of an investment nature. But all of that can fall into a commercial real estate definition. It may seem elementary, but I was curious to know why. Why would a company partner with a company like Cushman and Wakefield? Mike explained. The the real estate questions are not going to be their focus. So um, a company like Cushman and Wakefield would help to make sure that either they're getting the best rate, it's the appropriate size space, or even if they're in the same city. And a lot of times a company will start wherever their founder was based, and they'll get to a point where they um, maybe are negatively impacted by something in that market. Maybe they can't get the labor pool they need, or maybe something about the cost structure is, is, is very high for them, and they, they need something that's a little bit more affordable. You know, those are the kinds of questions that we get involved with to make sure that the, the space, the building, the city is, is best suited for, um, for the company. A lot of times, too, you'll see mergers and acquisitions. So now two portfolios of real estate come together that might not make any sense. You might have two offices in the same city. You might not have anything where a major customer is. You know, it's really just making sure that the plan for uh, the space going forward is in line with what leadership says is you know, critical to their business. So where a business operates is very often strategic. So I asked Mike, why is it that so many of the same kinds of businesses will end up in the same area? Success breeds more success. You know, you, you've got towns that the reputation precedes them. Um, fancy terms, it's agglomeration economies. But another way to look at it is what you'd call a location quotient. So when you have um, kind of a distribution or concentration of industries or, you know, a certain company type, that's on average with the U.S., you know, it, it's really no more, more, no less specialized than the rest of the country. But once you start to get a, a number above, say, 1.0, which would, would be average, um, you start to have a little bit more of your area's economy dedicated to that one thing. And if you get to, say, uh, technology in Silicon Valley, 
you know, it's it's four to even seven times the U.S. average because it is the global hub for technology. So you start to see certain cities that have these these agglomeration economies create more businesses in that same vein. And you'd think, well, why why would that happen? Well, you know, part of it is the ecosystem is already there. So you have brain power and, you know, people will eventually leave a job and then they'll go start up one on their own. So you kind of have this ecosystem. On the other hand... Uh, some downsides of that, though, is uh, you can have a little bit more expensive costs, you know, more competition. It's a little bit of a musical chair situation sometimes as it relates to labor. But, you know, when you're talking about making a product, uh, you know, clearly there's got to be some benefits to to being in that market, whether it's the supply of um, raw materials or even if it's some sort of distribution channel, you know. And usually once it's established, those things just continuously support more innovation in the market. That's really why, you know, if you take a big step back, that's why cities make sense um, because you start to concentrate people in an area. That ecosystem builds up. People continuously move there for job opportunities. A whole support network of other, you know, accounting and marketing and all of these other things will build up around it, and it, you know, just begins to hum on its own. Talk about that tension a little bit between the pros of of sort of going to a place that is known for that, that has that, that, uh, that ecosystem um, versus the cons of dealing with prohibitive costs in competition. Yeah, you, you nailed it, really. It's, it's the high barriers to entry. So I think the more successful or more well-known a location becomes for a certain service or industry, um, you know, the higher the barriers to entry will be. Once you're in, it, it can be lucrative, but... Um, you know, a lot of times it's it's um, some the the big fish in a small pond has worked a lot for companies too. They say, you know, we 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 want to be the only game in town. We don't want to go to a location that is known for this just because, you know, again there would there would be a lot of competition for the same finite labor pool. There would be elevated costs. So so it really all depends on on the service and it really in a way kind of the uniqueness of the product. Um, you know, especially in the run up until, you know, our, our latest economic situation in COVID, uh, you saw this big return to expensive cities. And our clients were saying, yeah, I know, I understand Midtown, Manhattan or uh, the Bay Area are, are incredibly expensive. But the kind of talent or the ecosystem that we need is critical to our business. And we're willing to pay that that high price in order to have it, because if we don't, we're, we're out of business. These strategic decisions, they can only be made by really getting to know an industry and how the businesses in that space work. One of the things I enjoy about it is, is you get to uh, peek into the world of, of countless different industries, some that are ascending, some that are <laughs> descending and feeling a lot of competitive pressures. But it, but it is, tell me about your business. Tell me, tell me where it's going. Tell me what your uh, competitors are doing. And then tell me about the real estate that you need. And, and if you're if you're pr- producing something, it's really a very different conversation than, um, you know, a, a space where you're providing, say, customer service or even a server farm. I wanted him to go into more detail about this, the differences between a business that manufactures, say, a brewery or one that provides a service like a, a server farm. Production is, is really about taking ingredients going through some sort of process and then having a product come out the other end, like, like making beer. And, and so clearly hops and, you know, obviously great water. And if you don't have those raw materials, it's probably not going to work. Um, you know, if you're a server farm, the, the, the 
critical location criteria, which is something that we use a lot when talking to clients, is really very different. Again, you think in a way of what are the raw materials? Raw materials for a server farm is going to be a good fiber backbone, uh, good bandwidth. Usually they follow the rail lines, kind of the old uh, telegraph lines in the country. Um, you want a lot of cheap power. And because a lot of your tech companies have a, or I think part of their PR, or their marketing, or their world outlook is, is a little bit about you know, sustaining the earth, you see locations that have not only cheap power, but a fairly uh, decent renewable power mix is being winners. Iowa has done a fantastic job um, in keeping the power low, but I think almost 30, 40% of their power now comes from wind. You know, it's also tax treatment. Be, when you think about taxing personal property, really the building of a data data center isn't worth a whole lot. It's the, the ingredients inside. So how a state taxes personal versus real property can make a difference in their annual tax bill in the you know, tune to several million dollars. So that's some insight into where a business might set up. But I was also interested to learn about the actual workspaces themselves, which Cushman and Wakefield is also involved in. One common metric in the corporate real estate space is densification, which can be measured by employees per square foot. You know, for the longest time, uh, there was a big push to densify, you know, bring more people into a, a smaller space, you know, get rid of large workstations and then, you know, put people sort of elbow to elbow in benching seats. You, you started to see that a lot. I think that will uh, start to push back a little a little bit. So you're, you're seeing these kind of uh, opposing forces of, fewer people in the space, but then the space that you do have, you're actually going to give people a little bit more space when they do decide to come in. So, you know, I think that's why uh, some of the, the, the thought leaders behind, well, what does the next five or 10 years look like? You know, I don't think it's going to be shrinking into these, you know, maybe small one or two person offices. The, maybe the space will look similar, but I think what's inside of it, you're going to start to see some uh, fairly dramatic changes. And these changes, they're a somewhat intuitive reaction to this prior trend. It was starting to move uh, below 200 square feet per person. In some cases, consultancy firms where there were a lot of travelers, for example, you started to see that get pretty low, about 120 square feet per person. Um, in uh, Europe, in India, you might see those numbers closer to 70 square feet per person. So, so incredibly dense space. Uh, that can work in certain environments. It can create a lot of energy, but it can also create a lot of burnout. It can create a lot of distraction issues, as you could imagine. The densification uh, push was part cost savings, but it was also the thought that more people in a space can create these sort of uh, you know impromptu ideas and collaboration that normally wouldn't happen. You know, you think of an old school office with high walled cubes and you know big spaces, and you. You know, you don't hear anybody talking on the floor and you, you know, kind of go on your same path from the elevator to your desk every day. You know, there's some thought that those environments weren't very good for the company culture either. But as Mike points out, things are changing. You know, most companies had uh, either a policy, written or unwritten, that, you know, that one workstation belongs to that one person. And, and you know, you'd never think of using it. It just wasn't wasn't how it was uh, designed. And... You know, I think that lack of flexibility in office space, especially with so much of it being dedicated towards one kind of activity or, or just one individual, companies can't be thinking like that anymore. They, they can't afford to because if we're now in a flexible world, the office space, the real estate needs to respond to that. So maybe you need to start thinking about more spaces that can do 
multiple things throughout the day. You know, no, if you, if you are a professional, no two days are going to look the same for you. You know, one day you might have just a lot of heads down work. The next day might be all meetings. So why does the workspace need to be so rigid? Of course, employee per square foot is a metric that most of us can easily understand. But Cushman and Wakefield has another metric, which is not immediately intuitive to a layman such as myself. It's called experience per square foot. This is a, this seems like a sort of a three-dimensional kind of a kind of a metric in a way that I can't quite get my mind around. Can you can you explain what that means? Sure. It's it's something that Cushman and Wakefield created and the whole the whole idea is that the work experience is is holistic. It isn't just sitting in front of a computer screen. That's that's a big part of it, of course. But um, experience per square foot is about that really that holistic measure and we used to say it's from the moment you leave your you know home in the morning to the moment you get home at night that's a little different now but it's it's the work side of a coin if you think about well what does work actually look like it's it's focusing it's focusing and getting work done it's teaming it's working with your colleagues to accomplish a project that's the typical stuff and unfortunately that's a lot of times where it would stop right there um, it's also important if you think about the holistic work experience, uh, you know, feeling again, I mentioned this earlier, but feeling bonded to the company. You know, do, do you understand how your daily contribution influences uh, the company's mission and its customers? You know, sometimes it's just pushing paper and you don't really see your, your contribution. And that, there's a big kind of psychology aspect to it. Another piece of it is we call it renew. So are you feeling energized? Are you providing giving your best work uh, throughout the day, or are you just, you know, watching the clock and kind of doing the bare minimum? Uh, there's another metric that we, we bring in, which is learn. Uh, learning is, are you growing as a professional? Are you becoming more of an expert in your chosen field? Those, those latter factors that I mentioned, I think can often be overlooked um, by leadership in a company, but are really important, I think, in, in making sure that an employee is engaged, they're feeling challenged, they're, they're, they're feeling like their contributions are, um, are valued, and um, it's just going to make for a better work experience for the employee, but then also, you know, a better employee for the company. So how do you apply uh, experience per square foot? I mean, again, and I hate to sound so basic and elementary here, but, you know, if I am thinking about, you know, a new office space, and I, I mean, wouldn't I normally say something like, I need you know, uh, 100 square feet per employee. And is this, do you guys then sort of say, well, here's a different lens. You need uh, this, you need to consider experience per square foot. Is that, I mean, how does it work? Yeah, it's um, it, it's a, uh, a good way, I think, to understand what all of the elements in a workspace should be. So part of it, of course, is the space. So, uh, you know, 100 square feet per employee, you know, that's that's a metric. This is a little bit different because what we'd be providing is everything from uh, what is the appropriate technology platform uh, to have for the employee. Are there maybe um, social events that should be implemented in order to have people feeling, feeling more connected to their company? Um, are there adjustments to the workspace itself to overcome issues of distraction? that uh, maybe a specific department has. I mean, you know, everybody is a little bit different, and we see all the time different tenures at the company, even different generations uh, will have a different work experience based on their needs and what they, what they need out of a workspace. So we, we try to come at it as not one size fits all. 
and uh, the the um, the results or the recommendations rather would doesn't necessarily mean need to be just a space metric that could be part of it, but it could be everything from something physical like workstation design to something that is more uh, communications and change management related and everything in between. So I ask Mike what he thinks the future holds for these commercial spaces in a time when we're reevaluating how we work. It's, it's going to have to switch from the office space being a place where you have to work to a place that you, you want to work. You know, what you're getting in the office space provides you with an environment to um, think creatively, to, um, to connect with people in ways that a virtual environment would never allow you to do. I, th- I think that's important, and I, I think that's why um, offices will, will continue to exist. And, and I mean, I'll, they should. You know, people are social. Uh, coming together is, is a good thing. I think society is better when people come together and try to work things out as a group as opposed to being separated. I think there's probably too much separation in thought right now. And if you even think about the most exciting places in our country, you know, they're center cities. And if you have all of a sudden a, a, a fraction of the people using those spaces on a daily basis, what does that do for the whole ecosystem? Whether it be the unique restaurants, uh, the art spaces, all of that stuff concentrates in an area where there's a lot of people. And if you remove that people part, it, it's not only just empty buildings, it's, it's sort of like you're cutting out the heart of America's or the world's most interesting places. And I think that's a bad thing for society. I know that's a little bit of a different angle than what you asked me, but I think that it's important for people to get together to share ideas and office spaces are just one of the places where we should be doing that. But this view is forward-looking and our current reality is a little lighter uncertainty. So now more than ever, companies are looking to professionals like Mike for guidance. Yeah, it's it's a hundred percent. Everybody's just trying to figure out which way is up. And um, you know, the the good thing about uh, this line of work is is we're we're talking to companies daily that are, you know, in one way or another dealing with the same situation. So, you know, after a short time, you really start to amass a lot of different opinions. And you know, one or two opinions is anecdotal, but you know, after thirty, forty, fifty of them, you start to get a sense of here's how the corporate world is going to start to react to this. Um, and, 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 and with that, as well as the sentiment from, you know, employees that are now remote working, where we're able to start to triangulate and put together, you know, I, I think some decently, um, you know, or I think well-reinforced thought pieces on this is where we think things are going to be going. Here's those different counterbalancing factors that I mentioned before with fewer people in the office, but more space now within the office. And, you know, ultimately it's, it's important for cities. It's important for landlords who own space and are wondering who's going to be using my empty office space in the next five, 10 years. I think it gives at least, at least a little bit of a roadmap and how to react. So the, the market, you know, which is essentially what is the price I'm willing to pay for this. So it kind of finds its new footing. And that's, that's the stage that we're in right now. It's a little bit of a dance. And I'm, I'm hoping that market will sort of you know, create some traction the latter half of next year when I think, you know, users of real estate and owners of real estate kind of see each other eye to eye. That's, that's, it's still going to take some time for that to happen. So to wrap it up, I ask Mike in real terms, what does Cushman and Wakefield think the short and medium term look like in this space that has been reshaped, not only by the culture of work, but a devastating pandemic? Yeah. 
you know, I think the um, the perspective is that you're going to have, uh, at least in this country, or I guess let's say North America in general, you're, you're going to have another year to two of negative absorption. And, and really all that means is that um, users of office space are, are, are uh, giving up more than they're, they're taking. So, you know, from a landlord's perspective, there will be more space than what's demanded on the market um, because of, um, you know, different, different factors and how they got a handle on the virus. Uh, it's even cultural aspects. I think you're seeing different levels of demand in Asia and even Europe. So it's, it, it will be a little bit different around the globe, depending on where you are. Um, you know, the, the, you are hearing more about getting people back into the office when it's safe. Of course, there's going to be individuals that need to be in order to do their, their job effectively. On the other end of the spectrum, you're going to have a group of people that need to be remote for a longer period of time, whether they've got, um, you know, underlying health conditions or in a lot of cities, uh, larger cities that have public transit, and that's the primary way to get to the office. We're seeing those as being laggards too, not necessarily being unsafe about being in the office, but concerns about how to commute to and from the office, you know, so that's, that's another factor. Um, I think though you are seeing the language change slightly, some of the larger uh, companies, especially in finance, uh, are, are starting to bring some individuals back to the space in a limited capacity. And I think that is maybe the first um, group where you'll see, you know, back to the office in a big way. On the other end, you've got technology companies that early on were saying, you know, 2021 at the earliest. Um, so I, th I think part of it is the type of job that they do. Part of it is cultural. Um, but then, as I mentioned, too, you're going to start to see some, I think, longer term structural changes in how the office is designed, um, how people are supposed to be using it, um, the kinds of activities that are happening in there. So you will start to see this new equilibrium start to, to build itself out in the next, you know, five to 10 years where maybe more of the office space does become uh, built for meetings. Uh, maybe you will see some more desk sharing in the space and then maybe some of that undoing of the dense workspaces that were, you know, really making a lot of inroads in the last decade or so. So I think that new equilibrium will start to, to work itself out in the next five years and, you know, really long term. Uh, our company is projecting um, really us to be back at this level of demand uh, in about that same time, uh, maybe as far out as, as, as 10 years for some really uh, some, some more distressed assets or some markets that are having a little bit of a tougher time. But this idea that we're on an eternal slide into you know, office oblivion uh, is not what we're finding at all. My guest today has been Mike McDermott, director at Cushman and Wakefield. Thank you so much to Mike. Thank you to Cushman and Wakefield. Check out the other 74 and West Exclusives podcast episodes. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And visit us online at 74andwest.com. That's www.74andwest.com. See you next time.